Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place, because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. My name is Eric, and I'm Travis Chappell's producer. And on today's episode, we're talking about how you can become a badass interviewer. And we have three guests on who are going to be the perfect people to talk about this. First up is Jordan Harbinger, a Wall Street lawyer turned talk show host, social dynamics expert, and entrepreneur. You know him from the Jordan Harbinger Show. And next up is Riley Dane, a Canadian entrepreneur and filmmaker. And last but not least is Ryan Mickler, a military veteran and the founder of Order of Man. If you have a podcast, interview show, blog, you name it, and you're dealing with doing interviews, this episode is going to be a huge help to you. So go ahead and stay tuned through the entire episode. If there's at least one point that's helpful to you and is going to help you improve your skills, then take a screenshot of this episode and tag Travis Chapel on Instagram with the handle at Travis Chapel. All right, guys, enjoy the episode. When I first started my podcast, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you talk to people and like you ask them questions and then that's about it type thing. I never even thought of sure. interviewing as like a skill set or an ability or something to cultivate or get better at over a long period of time. And then I started interviewing people and I was like, oh, man, I suck at this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I, yeah. I don't blame you, man. It took me, I, I didn't even think about interviewing at all as a skill for the first six or seven years of the show. It was only, which sounds dumb now, now that I think about it, but it, it sounds, 
it sounds silly, but what, the way I learned about it was I interviewed Robert Greene, author of The 48 Laws of Power. And at the end of the interview, he goes, man, why did this take so long? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you and I have been on each other's radar for a while. And I went, well, you know, I didn't think I was going to do a good job. And he goes, no, this is literally probably one of the best interviews I've done all year. And it was like December or something. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I I went, what, really? And are you serious? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you really prepared and you did a good job. And, And that was enough of a confidence boost for me. But I've been doing the show for seven years that I went, oh, I should work on this because maybe I do have a knack for this. But it was, I had no knack for it. I just spent seven years stumbling around and I, would, I was just kept doing it that I got good enough at it that I was better than most people at that point who had interviewed him and he was probably in a good mood, right? So, <laughs> so I took that and I ran and went, oh, I'm going to get really good at this. You know, I'm going to get really good at this now. And yeah. so with what the was craft there? of interviewing, I love interviewing and I think of it, yeah, was there was there any was there any like books or like audios that you listened to or was it just kind of like studying what other people did like watching, you know, Larry King or you know, listening to Tim Ferriss or or other people like that that really helped you be able to do that or was it honestly just the fact that you just did so much of it all the time that you just continuously continuously got better? Yeah, I mean, Tim didn't have a show back then. I, I think I, I helped him launch his show in, oh my gosh, I don't know, 2013 or 2014 maybe? I'm not oh, sure okay. when he started. Might wow. be even later than that. Um, but the, and I put helped him launch in, in quote, air quotes because there were, it was me and my producer and a couple other people. I didn't exactly, it wasn't like I was like, here's how you turn your microphone on. You know, he's, <laughs> he, but uh, we helped him with that that whole thing off the ground podcast wise. Cause he is, it's funny to say this. He, I remember him emailing me a long time ago and being like, Hey, I'm a fan of your show. And I was like, Oh, okay. You're writing a book. Congratulations. Um, four hour work week. <laughs> Sounds weird. And then I read it and I was like, this is a really good book. And he's like, thanks man. I hope it takes off. And now I'm like, Oh my God, look at this guy. Um, oh, man, so cool. yeah, that man, that was a long time ago, man. That was like a decade ago. But yeah, I watched probably 300 Larry King interviews and I was like, oh, I, I like some of this and I don't like a lot of the rest of it. So I, I have a whole list of things I learned from Larry King. Many of our, many are do this and the other, the bigger list is don't do this. And it's not because he, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's Larry King for God's sake. He's like, the, he's the godfather of this stuff um, that's still around anyway. It's because I went, oh, that was really cool for TV. That was really cool for radio. Now I'm, I am a, a natively digital interviewer. Um, and that, the distinction really doesn't matter for our purposes here, but I focus on podcasting in a way that is some, no, the Andrew Warner from Mixergy told me recently, nobody thinks about podcasting like you do, which is kind of a funny compliment because what he means is, holy crap, are you anal about everything you do in this process? Because <laughs> he's really detail-oriented. You know, he does a pre-interview. He pushes you hard. He's got prep. He's got questions. He's got this. He reads your stuff. Da, da, da. And he looked at my stuff and he was like, man, lighten up. You know? So, <laughs> so I am very much a digital native interviewer. And I focus on it to the, not to the detriment of anything else, but me, my producer, and everybody here, we realize that the show is the product, whereas a lot of interviewers and podcasters, the, the podcast is like one of their channels and they also do Snapchat and they're selling an ebook, but really the thing is webinars and they're on LinkedIn and they do paid acquisition. Our product at the Jordan Harbinger show, our product is the show, hmm. right? So it's not that we're not going to have events. It's not that we're not going to have 
offerings and courses and online stuff. It's not like we're not going to do anything else and it's not like I'm not on Instagram. It's just that the show has to be really, really good because that's where we're competing. We're competing against everyone else for the best interview show around. And I think we're doing a damn good job of that. And my team is obsessed with quality. My team is obsessed with making sure every show solves a problem. Every episode has worksheets that help people apply what the guest is teaching. Hmm. Every episode has extensive show notes so that people know what they're going to learn when they listen. Every episode is cut. Uh, there's 15, there's an average of, I think, 900 to, to uh, 1,500 edits in each episode that my producer does to wow. cut out filler words from the guest, to cut out unnecessary silences, to cut out flubs, to cut out tangents, to cut out unnecessary promotion by the guest, to cut out stupid references that don't make any sense to cut out jokes that didn't land on be, and I'd like to say that's all on behalf of the guests, but a lot of times it's my jokes that don't land. <laughs> and so those are all cut out because we realize that a minute of a listener's time is worth a lot to that listener. And when you extrapolate that and you say, okay, we're serving 5 million podcast episodes this month, 5 million episodes are downloaded. Each one is roughly an hour long maybe a little less, let's say it's 5 million hours. So that's a lot of minutes, man. I'm, I'm going to do some back of the napkin math here. Hold on a second. 5 million minutes, uh, or five, sorry, 5 million hours uh, is roughly three. Yeah, it's 300,000 minutes. Okay. Or, I'm sorry, 300 million minutes. And um, I, I need to get better at math here. That was done <laughs> on a calculator and I still got yeah, it wrong. We'll, we'll cut that um, out. We'll cut that out and, and yeah, put something else in there. Yeah. No, that's okay. Just make sure that everyone knows I can't even read numbers. Um, and so that's a lot of minutes. So if you cut out one from a show or two or 10 or 20, you just saved hundreds of, of thousands of minutes, thousands of hours of people's time. And we're very, con we're very cognizant and conscious of that because every minute that you get from the listener is earned. And if you're not earning it, they're going to turn you off and go somewhere else. And they should. They should do that. So I look at every interview as I'm an advocate for the listener. I used to be an attorney, which is an advocate job, right? You are an advocate for your client. I look at that as that's how I, that's how I approach the show, okay? So every single episode has to solve a problem. It has to provide some practical things that people can learn. And I spend every minute of my life studying the thoughts, the actions, the habits of brilliant people finding out what I can ask them so that the audience can apply that same wisdom for themselves. So I want to take their superpowers and deliver that to the audience. And if I can't do that and I just end up with an interesting story, I don't know if we have a show there, right? It's not about the guest. It's what the guest can teach to the listener. So every show, I'm not trying to be friends with the guest. I'm not trying to be friends with, uh, you know, the person who I'm interviewing. I'm trying to get them to like me or anything. I'm not even trying to get the most entertaining thing I can out of them. I'm trying to get the thing out of them that the listener can take with them and go, I learned this from the Jordan Harbinger show because otherwise you're just entertaining people. There's a place for that, but you become a commodity at that point. If you're just entertaining people and frankly, Jimmy Fallon's better at it. So I can't <laughs> lean on that. My newest film is called age of the entrepreneur. Um, and you can check it out by going to ageoftheentrepreneur.movie or aote.movie. So that's just abbreviated for Age of the Entrepreneur. Um, and you guys, you can actually watch it for free there. Um, but the idea was I wanted to create a film about 
what it takes to be an entrepreneur, but not just kind of like, you know, some lofty, like motivational film. Hmm. Um, although it is motivational. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a byproduct. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but what are, you know, what are the steps? Um, and I want to try to break it down into say, okay, if I have time for an hour and a half, um, in a linear format, where does somebody need to start? So if somebody's watching this movie and they just have an idea or they don't even know where to find their idea to become an entrepreneur and start a business, um, if that's step one and then step, let's say 10 is launching that in a big successful way and making money and turning it into actual profit, right? What's the story in between there? What's the step in between there that I need to show people and tell people? Um, and so that really is what the movie became about is me traveling. Um, I interviewed, I think th over 35, it may have been 40 of the top entrepreneurs, um, in the world, you know, people like Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, who I, I believe you've had on this show. Yes, yeah, uh, some, some really cool guests. Uh, the founder of Wix, um, Avishai Abrahami, who's a, a billionaire, um, and Wix is obviously a publicly traded um, multi-billion dollar company. Hmm. Um, so some really incredible people that have achieved some really fascinating things and just sitting down with them and trying to break down those steps to help the viewer say, okay, here's where I'm starting, this is the idea, and here's how we get to execution. Um, and it, and it was, yeah, it was a super fun project. Um, and so far the response has been really positive. So that's exciting. That's, that is exciting. Yeah. That's a, always a good thing when you work that hard on something and people actually like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a great feeling. Let me ask you this. Did you do any pre-work to make sure that that was going to be the result? Yeah. So, I mean, I think in filmmaking and this might be true for every type of plan. Um, but in filmmaking, there's an adage where basically your pre-production is your production. Um, mm. Meaning what you do getting ready before you shoot is really going to define if you're going to be successful or not be successful. Um, mm. And in a film like this, especially where I'm managing a lot of the aspects, um, you know, it is hard because not only do you need a good film that works and it's interesting, um, but you need a lot of different entrepreneurs to be in there. Um, and then you need to think about, okay, when this film is done, how am I going to get this out in a big way that's successful? So you have to be kind of being very mindful of the marketing aspect and distribution and kind of navigating all of those puzzle pieces together. So you make sure that when you hit launch, um, it's one thing to make, you know, the best movie since Casablanca, but if two people watch it on YouTube, not that <laughs> interesting. And likewise, you could make a super shitty movie for $12 and get a million people to watch it on YouTube. But again, you haven't really accomplished anything. So it's the middle ground of how can you make something amazing and how can you get a lot of people to see it. Um, and certainly planning um, was a massive aspect to ensuring that that came to fruition. So was there anybody during this process that you had a conversation with that surprised you, whether good or bad, positive, negative, somebody that you sat down with and you're like, wow, I did not know that. Or wow, that's super interesting. Tell me more. Was there anybody in particular, any conversations in particular that, uh, that you can think of? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've, I certainly had a few people that I was disappointed in that I won't name names, but it's like, <laughs> very big entrepreneurs with very big followings and you sit down and they don't give you a lot. Um, and, and I mean, I, I get it. That happens from time to time. Um, sometimes you're not in the mood. Sometimes I'm not in the mood to do interviews and things like that. So there was a few of those where, you know, you get all the crew out there, you're spending thousands of dollars, you're taking this big gamble, make this movie and you're just left completely disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, 
But on the positive side, um, there were a lot of people that gave me so much time. Um, and that was something that really stood out to me. And it seemed like the people that were possibly the most successful were the people who were asking um, how they could help me the most, hmm. um, which seemed very strange because you would think, okay, probably the people that are a little bit lower on the ladder that are a little bit closer to me are going to be the people who want to be a little more collaborative and help me more. Um, but I was surprised to find that, you know, there were billionaires um, that were genuinely interested in how they could help and what they could do to support the film. Hmm. And I think to me that just spoke to an idea about them, which is, you know, there's people always say like the, the amount of kind of help or impact you create in the world is going to be a direct result to how successful you are, hmm. um, which is a good idea in theory. But then to see these people that are wildly successful, far more successful than me, taking an interest in someone like me and trying to help me, it really shows that I think that's just their outlook on life. Um, a big picture idea is they're always trying to provide value. They're always trying to provide solutions because you never know who someone is, what will come of whatever interaction. And I wouldn't doubt that's why many of those people got to where they are is they discount anyone. They didn't take anything for granted. They assume that every person also has the ability to help them at some point. And so they really went out and helped me. So I, I thought that was really cool and a big takeaway for me. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I found the same exact thing to be true. And I I kind of refer to it on and off as the principle of skipping levels. Um, And I I find that uh, people who are just above where you are kind of have this competitive spirit to where they'll only help you to the extent that does not hurt them. If that makes sense, like like they, they want to keep their social status above you. So they don't want to give you all their secrets because they're afraid that you're going to get on their level. Like I, I, I think there's, I, I truly think that there's some sort of a psychological, either subconscious or conscious effort to keep somebody a little bit below them instead of helping them up to whatever level is on. But when you're talking to people like, you know, like Kevin Harrington or, or a couple of the people like Tillman Fertitta or, or Jeff Hoffman that I've, that I've had on my show um, that are just literally billionaires and who have helped, you know, millions of people for, through various products and services and uh, different things like that. Like their vision is so much higher level than that, that like they, all they want to do is add value, have impact and leave a legacy. And it's so much bigger than just the nuance of like, well, I don't want to give you my marketing tip for free. It's so much, it's so much bigger than that. And their, um, their, their attitude in working with you is definitely something that reflects that and something that I found to be true as well. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you 
that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Definitely. Um, and that's actually, to be totally honest, that's is that's something that I had to learn to overcome where I think, you know, it kind of falls into that kind of scarcity mindset where, yeah, where it's like when you're at a certain level, you feel like any advantage you give to someone who you perceive to be some type of competitor steals away a little piece of the pie that you could have had. So you really hold on right. to your, and I remember even growing up and not so long ago, um, I would get really jealous of people that, you know, I perceived as being on a similar level, but had achieved more than me. And although like you would congratulate them to their face behind their back, you know, you were kind of thinking like, Oh man, damn that dude. Like I wish like, <laughs> I was right now. Yeah. Uh, and really letting go of that recently, I would say in the last couple of years for me and genuinely being excited for other people's success and genuinely trying to help people has ironically, I believe helped me in my career the most, which seems counterintuitive, but I think that it is the, the fastest way to actually achieve growth. Yeah, I totally agree with you, man. That there's something happened to me recently like that where um, I, I do a lot of like podcast coaching, like one on one. Let's get your podcast, you know, create, grow, launch, monetize a podcast. And uh, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they're like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm thinking about going with this other guy, um, you know, and you know, basically like convince me that I should go with you." And I was like, "Look, man, it's up to you." <laughs> like for the first time in my life, I found myself not being upset if somebody else went with that person. Um, like I, I literally was just like, he's, he's a great dude and you'll probably learn a lot. So if that's who you'd rather learn from, then go learn from him. And it was not a tactic. It was not like a scarcity thing. I literally genuinely felt that in my like soul, like, Hey, I don't care if that guy gets the money, if that guy gets the business, you know, good for him. You'll probably learn something. If you vibe with him more then that's probably a better fit anyway. And it was such a weird thing to be in. But what that does anyway, is it attracts more people into your brand. If you have that attitude at the, in the end, you know what I mean? So uh, it's just like this, it's just like this, this concept that a lot of people can't wrap their mind around, but I think the more we're in this connected age, I think the more people are going to start realize that it is about collaboration rather than competition. And this is coming from somebody that, that used to knock on doors for a living, like door to door sales for years and years. So like, I, I know what it's like to be ultra competitive and to like, like go for the sale and get the clothes. Like I, I get all of that. And some salespeople would probably fault me for, for treating it as, uh, as, um, uh, uh, lackadaisically as I did, but, um, I, I just truly believe exactly what you were saying. If you have that abundance mentality, you're going to attract more opportunities in the long run anyway. Um, and if you have that collaboration mindset and you help other people, then, um, you're just putting out more and more good into the universe, which is only going to come back on you even better. what's a couple of things that you have learned through the creation of your brand, of your content? Um, cause obviously as a content creator, I know that 
um, you have a certain responsibility and accountability to always be researching the things that you put out and, and making yourself better at your own craft. And that's been one of like the biggest, like, happy side effects for me of running my show is like now I've read, you know, the top 10 books on networking and I've interviewed 250 plus people on networking and you, you learn more about those things than you even think that you're going to be able to. So what, what are a couple of things that, that you've learned all, along the lines of what we were just talking about in terms of like instilling better confidence, um, having healthy self-esteem levels, like overcoming imposter yeah. syndrome, not, you know, gluing yourself to a title, things like that. What are a couple of things that you've learned that maybe you didn't expect to learn by doing this? Uh, maybe I'll try to give a couple of things that you wouldn't normally think of that maybe aren't common common responses to a question like this i would say number one is always consider yourself a marketer you're a marketer mm. like i didn't i didn't change my financial service or financial planning practice uh, it didn't really start to take off and grow until i realized that i wasn't a financial advisor who needed to learn how to market or who needed to market i was a marketer who happened to be marketing financial services mm. i am today a marketer who happens to offer solutions for men who want to make themselves more capable hmm. in 30 years, maybe I'll be a marketer of, uh, I don't know, I don't know, archery equipment. Pick something. It really doesn't matter what that second component is. You can be successful in anything, but that first component marketing is crucial. If, if you're marketing a product or a service, or even in your personal life, if you're marketing yourself to a member of the opposite sex, you're a man or you're a woman, but you're a marketer of yourself. So the way that you present yourself matters. And, and that would lead into my second point is that people aren't interested in things that are not visually appealing. Like, they're just not, you know, sure. and, I, and I hear from all kinds of men every day, men, real men don't care about the way they look. Well, that's bullshit. Like <laughs> everybody, if that was really the case, you wouldn't shower, you wouldn't ever shave, you, you'd probably run around naked because that's way more comfortable than putting clothes on. You, you'd probably let your gut go a little bit. Like you, you'd live a completely different life if you really didn't care what other people think or you really didn't care how you look. So whether we're talking about your grooming or your logo or the way that you deliver a message, one thing that I am very, very intentional of and I'm still learning is being articulate and clear and concise with the words I use. Mm. Try not to use a lot of fillers and ums and ahs and rights and I thinks and those sorts of things that cloudy up and muddy the, the, the message. So the way that you present yourself, the way you look, the way you communicate, the things behind you in a video, all of that stuff matters. Even the little things that you don't necessarily think of and that you think other people won't recognize as well. Mm. That does something not only for the way that people perceive you, but it helps you too. Like it would be easy for me to say, you know, I built this office the way that it is so that people will view me in a certain light. And sure, that's taken into consideration. But also I'm more productive when I get up and I shower and I get ready for the day. I could sit here in my boxers, which I'm not, by the way. <laughs> I could but I get up and I get ready and I put pants on and they're not the dirty ones. I found in the laundry, like they're clean and they were folded. And I pulled them out of the drawer and this office is conducive to me producing a podcast. That's going to be effective. When I sat down to have this conversation, I didn't show up late on, 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 or, or not ready or capable of having a conversation with you. I had an idea of what we were going to talk about I'm in the right mindset because 
All of that stuff matters. It matters to the people listening and it matters to me and how I'll feel about the product, whether it's myself or a service that I'm putting out into the world. Yeah. I think that last point you touched on is probably the most important part is that it matters to you because I don't think, I think people take their reputation with other people more seriously than they take their reputation with themselves. I think that that's a really, really just glaring oversight. Um, because I think that if you can build a better reputation with yourself, then you won't have to really worry about reputation with other people. It'll just kind of like happen along the same way because nobody's there with you, Ryan, right? There's like, there's nobody there like making sure that, well, you better like put some pants on and they better be clean pants and like make sure that you're groomed, make sure you took a shower, like make sure your bed is made before you like go out and get your morning cup of coffee. Like there's, there's nobody there telling you to do that. And nobody would know the difference right? Like I, I wouldn't yeah. know. Like if, if you didn't tell me that, I wouldn't know, bro. Like I'm looking at a, a head, a hat, a glorious beard and a shirt, right? That's what I, <laughs> right. that's what I'm seeing right now, right? So you could have been sitting there in your boxers, but the bottom line is, you know, in your mind, if you cut corners, you sure. know, if you cheat and when you do cut those corners and when you do cheat, that's the reputation that you build with yourself. And that's how you're going to portray yourself to be in other people because that's who you subconsciously believe yourself to to, to be, whether or not you've actually consciously thought about it. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.